0: just go to cars.com. It's magical.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's episode, we're talking about your 4 and 11 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about Killian Hayes' hand injury, Hamadou Diallo's return to the rotation, and we wonder aloud if Cade Cunningham is already the best player on the Pistons. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Uh welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys Podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased as always to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, be honest, how much of you was rooting for Jordan Poole against the Pistons?
0: Well, I wasn't rooting against Jordan Poole. I will say that. Man, that kid <laughs> has he has developed. Wow. What a what a fun system for him to be in too for any of my fellow Wolverine fans out there. Yeah, perfect landing spot for him, and he he's just grown by leaps and bounds. So that it was fun to see him play well, and fun to see the Pistons make a run at it during the fourth quarter. As has kind of become the trend, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and I think a lot of that is is due to Kyrie Cunningham, who we're going to talk about. But it has been they would they would be in better position if they didn't start games so slowly. Uh, if I remember correctly, they started that Golden State game down like sixteen to four at some point. And it's like, yeah, you, you could probably put yourself in better position to win some of these games if you uh, if you didn't spend the first three minutes not uh, not shooting the ball well. But that's kind of where we are uh, with this team. It's actually like, I don't know. How do you, how do you, there's a, between the really bad loss to Sacramento, the pretty good win against Indiana, and the pretty good loss to Golden State, even though they were minus Stephen Curry and Draymond Green. Is, like, is this still counted of like a good week of Pistons basketball, Ben? I, I was a little bit torn about how I should perceive this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, big picture perspective, it's fine. I'm not worried about that loss to Golden State at all. Um, and I'm really not worried about wins and losses too much. I thought the win against Indiana was solid. I mean, I think Indiana is probably better than their record. They're They've started slow. But, you know, I was particularly worried about getting dominated inside, and that did not happen. And the Pistons defense was actually very good all the way around. You know, Sacramento game, look, the young team, they're going to have some nights where guys don't show up. And that is unfortunately what happened. I will say the the thing that would have made me not hesitate at all would be um, Cade Cunningham getting a chance to close the game against the Warriors. I was particularly annoyed with, um, I, you know, I don't know if it was play calling or I don't know if it was Jeremy Grant just doing his own thing, but either way, that left a sour taste in my mouth I think but big picture yeah I mean I think this was a fine week
1: I thought that it looked like the play call was for Jeremy to take the last shot I think my main frustration was after the offensive rebound it was like he's Kate is like moving to space and they couldn't find him and they got what like I think like a Corey Joseph three uh with time winding down and like that's that's not where you want to be at and I'm Sure, they were out of timeouts and uh I'd just like to see a little bit more heads up uh you know in the in that scramble situation with the understanding that like is this a scramble situation, uh stuff's gonna happen. But but yeah, Cade's been playing really well in the clutch, and he's been playing really well, you know, overall. His numbers have been great overall. Um the Indiana game the you know, the the win. Uh you could really see how the game just turned as soon as he came in with like six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um after so, in his last eight games, so yeah, you remember Ben, he had that horrible start to the season. So, in his last eight games, he's averaging 17 points, six rebounds, and four assists, shooting 40% from the floor, 33% from three, and 90% from the line. I wish he got to the line a little bit more. But, Ben, is Cade already the best player on the Pistons?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you throw out those first few games, and I, you know, I think that's probably pretty fair. Uh, you know, I, he certainly looks like everything he was advertised to be, right? And I think given how good he is defensively and that the other non-scoring parts of the game, I mean, look, if, if we were going to have a expansion draft tomorrow and you could only protect one player, I mean, duh, right? Captain obvious it's Cade Cunningham. Yeah. Um, he's clearly also the guy that I think defenses are scheming around, right? Like they want to keep him out of the paint. They want to keep him from dribbling the basketball and attacking as much as they possibly can. And I think, you know, as we talked about last week, you know, the, the place where he's got to improve, I think a little bit is settling for some of those free threes, even some of them that are open because gosh, his, his game off the dribble is just absolutely ridiculous for, for a rookie. I mean, he just gets wherever he wants, whenever he wants. So yeah, I mean, absolutely the most talented guy on the roster, absolutely the the most complete player on the roster. And yeah, I mean, if you chuck those first few games out, the numbers bear all of this out as well. he's, He's definitely rounding into form and uh, look we're gonna have some bad games I think where he doesn't shoot the ball well or maybe he gets bit by the turnover bug. that's natural but man it's it's a lot of fun to watch him right now he's he's clearly gonna be something special
1: yeah I, I don't know if bit by the turnover bug is the right terminology the turnover bug might just be like underneath his skin right now <laughs> uh, hes still I think he's at like three he's at three plus turnovers per game on the year which is not great. Um, but is to be expected from a rookie ball handler in his first 10 games. And so, uh, hopefully that gets fixed and, and I'm sure it will. Uh, some of those are, you know, just figuring out the, the speed and length of NBA defenders. And some of those are just like him dribbling the ball the wrong way. And so I'm, I'm sure he'll uh, turn down or he'll, uh, tone down some of the, uh, the dribbling the ball off the foot turnovers. But yeah, Cade's been Cade's been everything we could have asked for and more. I you know what I loved, Ben? I loved in the Golden State game his, how his eyes lit up when he saw like five foot eleven, 160-pound Chris Chioza guarding him and just like took him. him to the rack like twice. It's like that, like that is what I like to see out of out of Cade Cunningham. That aggressiveness to punish very clear mismatches. And I think that's something that uh, like you mentioned, teams are teams are working really hard not to give him any slivers of advantages because they already know he can take it, he can take advantage. And so yeah, it's it's been really interesting to watch uh the team so far this year, um, like with the idea that already the player I want to have the ball in his hands down the stretch of like any and all games is this rookie who's been playing like less than fifteen NBA games. But uh, like you, like you mentioned, your frustration at the end of the Golden State game with him not being able to touch the ball. It's like I, I was equally frustrated, and it, that seems like a, a glaring oversight on Dwayne Casey's part. They've already like adjusted the offense to take advantage of more of what he does well, and so uh, you, you really just see how he is like putting his imprint uh, on this team in the in the short term, in the immediate, and in the long term, and like that's been that's been really sight to see. Um, Kate's amazing. I'm I'm never gonna stop being grateful that uh, we got the number one pick and, and he was available in that draft. Um, speaking of other guys that well we've drafted fairly recently, Sadiq Baybin. Uh, Sadiq has been like with the injury to Kelly Olynyk, Sadiq has started becoming the um the small ball four for the second unit. Um, and that's enabling him to do like a little bit more with the ball without like worrying about necessarily how he gets the ball to a Cade Cunningham or a Jeremy Grant uh, because he's playing with, you know, Corey Joseph and Frank Jackson. Um, He's not finding the same amount of efficiency that he was last year. Even still, Um, he's shooting 42% from three over his last four games, but that includes like one I think one game he we went like three for four and one game he we went like one for seven and so it's just just some variance but we're starting to find more they're starting to return to the level of production that we've seen out of Sadiq earlier this season um in those bench lineups so how, how do you feel about that that shift to the rotation Ben do you feel like that that role for Sadiq as like the the lone starter and with the other four bench guys do you feel like that's a that's a good role for him moving forward
0: well, I think it makes sense from a team perspective um you know, Kelly Olenek in a lot of ways was very much a hub of that second unit before he went down to injury. You know, Sadiq can do some of those same things, you know, different player, but can kind of step into some of those same roles. So I think that makes good sense. I also think it makes sense because when you look at the starting unit, you know, you don't necessarily want Sadiq trying to create a whole lot on his own when you look at the other guys who are in that rotation. So, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. It makes sense from the team perspective too because you you got to have a functioning unit out there all the time, right? Like, even if you know you're going to lose games, uh, you want to have functioning, comp- competent basketball. And I think plugging Sadiq into a role where he's got the ball in his hands a little bit against second-string guys, look, that could also be good for his confidence too in terms of, you know, his own ability to off the dribble, which has been, you know, up and down, a little bit inconsistent. So, yeah, I think this makes good sense. I think he's rebounded defensively particularly well. He's able to utilize – some of that size and strength to be a little bit of a stopgap as the Pistons deal with, um, you know, depleted big man rotation that wasn't particularly great at defensive rebounding to begin with. So, yeah, I think I think this makes sense for the short term.
1: The I agree, and you said basically everything I was going to say, so I'm not going to belabor the point. The only thing I'm going to mention is that, um, him coming out, him being essentially the first starter out. Uh, you know, as he takes this role, because he needs to play longer minutes with the bench. I like I we he does need to be able to build like chemistry with, uh, with Cade and Jeremy and uh, Killian and figure out in particular like how he's going to be on the floor with Cade at the same time and like what uh, how he can balance uh, what he wants to do on offense like when Cade is on the floor, um, shifting him to the bench like delays how they answer that question but that's going to be a question that's going to pop up sooner or later right and so uh i don't it's like i'm, I'm willing to take that trade off now but like you said like when kelly olinick returns um i fully expect sadiq to kind of i fully expect to see more five-man bench units when kelly olinick returns and then we will still have the question of like how we get uh sadiq and kade to play well together uh at, on the court at the same time uh, and so, so yeah, that's this is the only like thing that makes me a little worried, but we can't answer that question right now anyway. Speaking of the bench Ben, uh one big lineup change this week. Hamadou Diallo, he's back. Uh he re-entered the rotation over Josh Jackson. Um, I personally liked what he brought defensively against Indiana. There were multiple times where he was switched onto DeMontis Sabonis and competed really well on that end. Um but on the other hand, Ben, like Josh Jackson wasn't playing awful. He was playing okay, but he wasn't playing like he wasn't playing to the level where I thought he would he needed to be benched, right? And so what what do you think of that that replacement, that transition, Ben?
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, I wonder how much of it is a demotion versus just changing things up. I, I think we've kind of arrived at the situation where they you know, they're obviously different players, they're not identical to each other, but I think some of their strength and weak strengths and weaknesses overlap to the extent that maybe playing both of them was tough. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you know they kind of bounce back and forth in the rotation, giving both of them a chance to get minutes. That, that's kind of my take on it. I didn't necessarily take it to be like a, a negative statement about what Josh Jackson is doing. You know, having said that, Josh, you know, Josh just kind of is who he is. I think that was kind of the one disappointing thing about what we saw with Josh so far this season. You know, his three-point shooting is still bad. I think it might even be worse than it was a season ago. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right when you said Hami really competed. He looked, again, sounds a little bit cliche, but having ridden the pine for a while, he looked hungry. He looked like he wanted to be out there, especially defensively. I think you're right to point that out uh, in particular. Um but yeah I mean I think you've got these both of these guys who are still relatively long, young 23 23 24 years old. Um you know the Pistons have to make a decision about Josh Jackson sooner than Hamidou Diallo. So I think you want to give both of them a a fair chance to prove whether they belong or not as part of a longer term plan. And uh yeah I mean I wouldn't be surprised if the Pistons get creative with other positions the way they're doing this. Like, for example, I wouldn't be surprised, as we talked about last week, if Saban Lee gets a run of 10 or 15 games and that moves Corey Joseph to the bench you know, as a for example. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm having a hard time getting strong feelings about it either way. But I, I do kind of feel like it makes sense to give Hami the chance to prove whether or not you know he belongs long term on the roster and i think the only way you're going to get a real sense of that is to put him out there against the nba competition
1: that's fair you are correct josh jackson is shooting 28% from 3 on the season that is worse than last year's 30% from 3 so and, and it is funny too because i in my head and on the sheet right i've got like josh jackson is a better three point shooter than hami and that's probably why you, you wanted to play him uh you know in the rotation first and It's like, maybe not, actually. (laughs) Maybe if Josh is going to continue to shoot 28% from three for the year, like, eh, you know, the the spacing problems exist for both guys, I suppose. Um, It'll, it will be interesting to see whether or not, like, Hami's able to keep this spot. Like you mentioned, I think there will be a lot of flip-flopping for both of these guys in the rotation as things go along. Um, I liked, I liked Hami's ability to put pressure on the rim. We saw that a little bit. In the Golden State game, and like that's the thing that he can do that nobody else can do on the roster, and so you you hope he gets the chance to do that more often. Um, but yeah, he needs to he needs to continue to uh, like look to playmake a little bit more, which I think is the other big advantage that Josh Jackson has over Hami is his ability to to keep the ball moving and make plays for others. Uh, I think that's a strength of Josh right now. The other thing that's kind of funny is that like now I, I suspect this might not matter as much because Killian Hayes uh, is continues to tweak his thumb and will be absent against the Lakers tonight. And so I suspect we'll see both Josh and Hami in the rotation tonight and and for as long as they they keep Killian out. And so like maybe we we don't have to answer this question. Hopefully both guys, you know, play well in, in this opportunity. But uh, but yeah, I think we'll continue to just ping pong. Uh, back and forth, based on uh, you know who's playing well in practice, you know who has that that fire in their eyes that you mentioned, Ben. Uh, who who looks ready to compete and, and play defense, which are all the things we know Dwayne Casey loves uh, in a player. Um, but yeah, Killian hurt his hand. He keeps he keeps tweaking his thumb. He I think he's hurt it every single game this uh, this like past week. He, like, I remember he heard it against Toronto. There's a, a time he came out. He heard it against Indiana, heard it against Golden State. I forget if you tweaked it or not against Sacramento. I doubt he even played uh, enough to do so. But yeah, they are they are finally giving Killian uh, a break to to let that hand heal a little bit. He will not play tonight against the Lakers. Um Ben, have you ever like you ever tweaked a hand? Do you have any uh an inside info on like how that might affect uh you know your offense, for example?
0: Oh, man, I uh, when I saw this question on the sheet, it made me have a little bit of PTSD. <laughs> um, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I have hurt my hand actually very severely. Um, I won't I won't go to the full story, but um, this was the uh, the fall before my freshman year of college. Right. So I we, we went to school early a couple weeks before the rest of the students to start training, etc. And the long story short is my I, on my shooting hand, I'm a right handed player. Uh, the finger, my index finger and my middle finger got slammed and smashed between two 50 pound dumbbells. And so I actually shattered two joints on my shooting hand on those two fingers and uh, missed almost eight weeks. Um, And I, I can tell you that to this day, which good Lord, it's almost 20 years ago now. That's scary to say. It is 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. To this day, I still deal with pain and discomfort. Like if you know, I'm playing catch with friends or shooting around or whatever. So um, you know that's a different type of injury than what uh, Killian is dealing with. I had to be sidelined because my joints were literally in pieces. Um, you know, Killian is dealing with a different type of injury, but having said that, when you're dealing with something in your shooting hand, you know, I will tell you that it took me a full year before like I mentally winced before someone threw me a hot pass, if that makes any sense. And so, yeah, I'm super sympathetic to what Killian's going through. Um, I'm disappointed because, you know, he was the team's best three-point shooter. And look, when your shooting hand isn't right, it, everything feels wrong. Um, so I, I really hope he's able to rebound quickly because, you know, I think we were starting to see really good stuff from Killian. Um, you know, not 100% of the time, but enough of the time to really, I think, make us start to believe that there's a there there. Um, so I'm wishing him nothing but the best, uh, cause it's a tough injury to come back from. It's, it's really hard when you don't have confidence in your shooting hand.
1: No, absolutely. I, I did not know that. And so, uh, it, it I can feel, I can like already feel people being like, oh, you asked Ben that question because you like knew that backstory. <laughs> like, no, I had no clue. No, that wasn't That's, a setup. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, the interesting thing you said to me right there was that how the hand still 20 years later, kind of, uh, you still feel the physical toll of that. That is something that I had also like kind of seen about hand injuries is that they, uh, you know, hands are like very delicate. Don't take, uh, it takes a long time to heal and they don't uh, heal particularly. uh, Completely. I don't know. Yeah. Particularly completely is like terrible grammar, but uh, you get what I'm saying. Uh, And so I am, I'm glad that they're giving Killian the time he needs to rest the hand. I am also like a little bit worried that this portends like another lost season of offensive development for Killian. Um, And and like you mentioned, like just as he was finding a role on this team next to Kate Cunningham, um, one thing I will say though, like because this is his shooting hand and his dribbling hand, and because a big weakness of Killian Hayes is his offhand, I, I do hope that he finds time to you know work on his uh dribble package like work on his finishing ability like with his offhand during this time because uh like that seems uh that seems like the seems like as good a time as any to be able to get that work in right uh i remember i don't remember but like you hear the apocryphal stories of all the kids who like you know broke one arm one summer and like that and started to use the other arm and like that's how they they learned to finish uh like offhanded or something like that and so I, I you know obviously we hope that killian recovers quickly but i also hope he uses his time to um get some skill development in with the offhand that he wouldn't normally have time to do during the season i hope that that takes up some of the uh the development balance that we lose by him like not being able to play nba basketball and you know there's no there's no timeline on the injury right now um i am sure that if he like if it was like a playoff game, Killian could play, but uh, you know, now is a good as good a time as any to start to let that hand injury heal for sure.
0: So, I think if if there is one thing that makes me somewhat optimistic, if it is actually his thumb, which is what I've seen kind of the preliminary reports about, that that might be the best finger you could hurt, honestly, um, because it's a, it's a, it's a stabilizing hand in your shot, but it isn't it isn't those aren't the fingers that you need you know, for your follow through and stuff, right. It's more of for stabilizing and balance. So, uh, you know, hopefully that means that it, it doesn't take as long to recover. And I, I'm one of those guys who I, I still, to this day, I don't play as much as I used to, but I still prefer to dribble left because I spent eight weeks of hours <laughs> a day working on my left hand. So, you know, for killing it's the other way around, maybe we'll see uh killing, come back finishing with
1: the right. That would be fun to see. That would, that would be fun to see.
0: Just go to Frito-Lay Snacket.sbnation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void prohibitive. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-Lay Snacket.sbnation.com. All
1: right, Ben. uh, I'm also glad that I don't have to talk about an Isaiah Stewart injury in this piece because he is probable for tonight's game. And uh, took after that very scary fall uh, he took um, against the Golden State Warriors, the big man' death obviously with Kelly Olenek had already taken a blow, and so Ben, how relieved are you that we don't have to talk about an Isaiah Stewart injury?
0: I was actually kind of hoping to ask you how you were going to feel about Luca Garza starting against Anthony Davis. I mean, that would have been yeah,
1: that would been, been something, something to <laughs> behold. Absolutely.
0: No, I'm glad Stewart is hopefully not seriously hurt. That fall was scary. I, I mean, I watched I think the replay twice. And then I had to stop watching it because it just looked, ugh, it just looked ugly. And it was one of those non-contact injuries, which can sometimes be the scariest, right? So, you know, hopefully it's just a tweak. Hopefully, you know, Beef is out there ready to compete because, you know, he's a tough dude. He's a fan favorite. And he, he is really important right now.
1: No, absolutely. I know. With the, the thing that got me worried wasn't, it didn't, you, you could see like the non-contact, you could see he just kind of rolled it. And so I I was hopeful that it wasn't that bad on first replay, but then you had the sight of him, you know, not being able to put that much pressure on it and being helped off the court by his teammates. like, that's usually like the really bad sign. That was when I was getting like Reggie Jackson flashbacks and being like, please like, let's not do this whole thing again. Uh, and so I'm, I'm also like very grateful that Stewart is, uh, is going to play and, uh, you know, but that will be something that I will be continuing to watch for sure. Um, as Stewart like needs to elevate to contest a lot of shots around the rim, like he's going to be jumping a lot, and so there's if if the ankle is kind of already a little bit destabilized, um, you know it'll be it'll be easier for him to re-injure it, and so that, that that's something I will try and keep in mind, like as we watch Isaiah Stewart play. So don't don't land on anybody's foot, Stewart. Yeah, please. I was
0: just gonna say it's the landings I think that are the. The worst part, I, I also dealt with a lot of ankle injuries. It was jumping. At least I knew what was going to happen, right? Like, you know when you're going to jump and how you're going to jump. You don't know how you're going to land all the time. That that can be a scary feeling as well.
1: Yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant has been playing. Uh, I think Jeremy Grant's become like this weird uh, non, uh, this weird like totem for like everything that's kind of wrong with Pistons basketball right now. Uh, he's been shooting six free throws a game over his last five games. And that's something that you and I have both talked about, about, you know, the free throws being the easiest shot or the most valuable shot in basketball and something we want to see him take more of. But at the same time, he's shooting 40% from the field, 30% from three and 81% from the line for the entirety of the season. And so Ben, like we're seeing a little bit of improvement in how to make him more efficient, but the three point shot is still not coming around. He's still playing a little bit too much in isolation. So th- what can the Pistons do to get him to regain some of the efficiency and some of the uh, you know, prompt decision-making that we saw out of Jeremy at, at last season?
0: So, Les, let me, let me pose this question to you. At the end sure. of the Golden State game, there's, there's obviously that very last possession, right, that was ugly mm-hmm. that we talked about. But in the two or three possessions immediately preceding that, it looked to me – like Jeremy was sort of like demanding the ball from Cade and sort of calling off Cade and then kind of doing his own ISO thing. Did you notice that or was I imagining that?
1: I can't say that I noticed that. I noticed more the the end result of like Cade not having the ball in his hands late more so than like any direction Jeremy Grant like was or wasn't offering.
0: Okay. The reason... That, that I'm interested is, um, you know, I'm wondering if Jeremy is feeling the pressure to prove that he, he deserves that, what Troy mm-hmm. Weaver talked as him about, like, uh, you know, if you recall media day, Troy talked about uh, Jeremy as the number one offense, number one option for the offense. Right. And, you know, as Cade has come to be an incredibly efficient clutch player, there's part of me that's wondering if Jeremy consciously, subconsciously is feeling the need to prove that he he deserves to be called the number one option on the team, given that, you know, Cade, the number one pick, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so I wonder if Jeremy's pushing a little bit. Um, I've also noticed what feels like a disproportionate amount of rushed off-balance shots from Jeremy, and it's not just off the dribble. And I watched the games out of order this week. Um, I actually watched Indiana's most recently, and Jeremy's actually pretty good at those. Better than I feel like anyone has any business being. Like he's so unorthodox that sometimes he just he'll knock down a layup off balance, off the wrong foot. He'll knock down a three when he's not set. Uh, but I feel like he's rushing a bit. So that that's kind of what I'm seeing. I want Jeremy to just slow down a little bit and. Not feel like he has to prove that he's the 23 point per game scorer that he was a season ago. I want it, it again. It sounds a little bit cliche, but don't force. I mean, he he doesn't need to force. When he iso's, he's at his absolute worst, and I think everyone is seeing that. He's just so much better when he's opportunistic and working within the flow of the system. And uh, you know that's what I'm seeing out of Jeremy Grant. Um, the free throw shooting being down is a little bit harder to explain. Um, but I think against Indiana, again, that's the game that's freshest in my mind. He got to the line 12 times. He attacked mm-hmm. the rim really well, particularly on a night when he wasn't shooting the ball well. He was over five from three and I think five for something overall. So, yeah, I mean, I just want Jeremy to, to don't press so much. You don't you don't have to shoot every clutch shot because, you know, you're the highest paid guy on the team or whatever. Uh, just, you know, just settle into things a little bit and, and don't force things.
1: Yeah, that that reminds me of do you remember that that air ball he had in the first game against mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. down the stretch it was like yeah that's that's kind of a similar thing to to what you're talking about um yeah I've I've been frustrated with Jeremy's propensity to to break the the motion and go into an isolation and like you mentioned like isolation is uh probably like literally his worst play type right now um I I can't speak to his mentality on whether or not he feels like he, you know, has to be, uh, the guy to take these, these, cl- these crunch time shots. Um, but I would, I would just want, I think, I think the Pistons have done a better job of eliminating some of his most inefficient shots where like, which were the off the dribble threes, um, but at the same time, if these off the dribble threes are turning into off the dribble twenty footers, like that's that's not any better. Um, what what I would like to see is for him to uh, be more aggressive, like he was in the Indiana game, like you mentioned, shooting twelve free throws. But I think a big part of that was because the Pistons don't really fear uh, Miles Turner or Sabonis as like rim protectors. And so when I when I think he feels like he's got an opportunity to like get underneath some of those guys and get all the way to the rim, that's when we see a, a more aggressive uh, version of Jeremy Grant. Um, it's going to be tough tonight, in particular. Uh, I assume his matchup will be Anthony Davis. That that's going to be a tough time. But uh, yeah, I, I you want uh, Jeremy to kind of slow down and be patient. I just want him to be more aggressive. I just want him to continue to be uh, aggressive. I can forgive. The 30% from three, if he's shooting, you know, seven, eight free throws a game, um, I I feel like that offsets uh, in my mind.
0: Yeah. And when you say aggressive, you mean something like attack the rim, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, The last guy I really wanted to talk about was Frank Jackson. Frank Jackson uh, obviously had the big game against Golden State, 27 points, uh, a season high for him. Um, But he's starting to contribute more just like overall. Um, In his last five games, he's averaging 14 points off the bench, shooting 44 percent from three and 50 percent from the field. Um, I think it's safe to say that like Frank is the is the safe guy uh, coming off the bench uh, between like Josh and Hami and Frank. Right, Ben?
0: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it was only a matter of time for him in terms of his shot falling. He's too good a shooter. To essentially forget how to shoot, right? I mean, he was, I think, forty percent a season ago from deep, and I think what he's done well this season. I think we saw this last season as well, but he did this against Golden State in particular.ly He's actually pretty good off the dribble, and I think he's deceptively good. Mm-hmm. Every time he gets to the rim and elevates, it surprises me. It kind of reminds me of uh like Will Bynum in the same way. Like you, you always surprised by how a little dude could get up so high and finish well um, James Edwards is the third actually tweeted out um, a highlight mixtape of Frank before he actually got to college um, in response to some of those attacks of the rim by Frank Jackson and that was that was fun to see I hadn't seen high school Frank Jackson but that dude had ridiculous hops um, before some of the injuries and I, I guess I didn't realize that so yeah the shot following uh, the shot falling actually you know that When when you're making shots, that covers up a whole lot of other problems. But when he's shooting the ball well and finding ways to attack the rim, you know, he's an ideal guy off the bench, right? Just just instant offense. And hopefully he's back, right? Hopefully we don't see any more of these O for donut games where, you know, everyone's just cringing every time he takes a shot, right? Like he's had several good games in a row. Hopefully he's rediscovered his rhythm and he can do his job, which is come in in the second unit, shoot and score the basketball.
1: No, absolutely. I will be interested to see if he enters the starting lineup with the uh, Killian Hayes injury. Uh, I do think if, if if he has rediscovered his shot, like that's a really big deal for them. Obviously, he played down the stretch in the Golden State game uh, because you know he's having such a good game was a, a crucial part of uh, of that fourth quarter comeback. The the other thing I will say about Frank is that I think the team the team is making it a little bit easier on him uh over the last couple of games. Um I want to shout out Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops uh who's you know sharing the DBB podcast feed. He had a really nice piece earlier this week about uh, pass location for the Pistons as a, as an area of improvement. Um you know how the Pistons I think were top 5 in the NBA in like passes per game or like a top 5 in total passing uh like total passes thrown team. But how that wasn't necessarily leading to good shots being taken because a lot of the passes were off target and uh, uh, produced like a lot of out of, out of rhythm shots. You know, when I was looking at the Frank Jackson highlights uh, against Golden State in particular, I noticed a ton of like on time on target passes that allowed him to get into a good rhythm shooting the ball. And so, I I, I think that's that's something that um, like obviously needs to continue, um, but it also like makes. It's a little thing, but something that makes things easier for a guy who needs who needed to find that offensive flow like Frank Jackson did. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's nice to have the old Frank Jackson back. He was so uh, he was so important to the team last year. And, you know, uh, having so many people simultaneously on the team struggling to shoot the ball, it's nice to finally get one of those guys back and, and shooting the ball at the 40 at a 40 percent clip uh, coming off the bench.
0: Well, and it makes the game so much more enjoyable to watch, Laz. I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't care that they lost, for example, that game to Golden State. It was so much fun to see the team competing and being in the game, right? The wins and losses, again, I I just don't care. But when you've got a handful of guys who are playing well, you've got a couple guys really shooting the basketball well, it's just so much more enjoyable to watch from the fan perspective. And, you know... It, it sort of, you, this team, I feel like maybe can start to develop that underdog mentality, which really was kind of the thing that started the going to work era, right? Like you're not supposed to be good, but you find ways to be good. You find ways to compete. You find ways to win the games you're not supposed to win. And look, they're not going to put it all together this season and win 42, 43, 45 games, anything like that. Um, but I think you need guys like Frank Jackson um, who can be good enough to push good teams down the stretch, you're winning games like you are against Indiana and look golden state obviously didn't have their best players, but still a solid team. You know, you, you really want to have those moments that you can build on in terms of your culture, your talent base, keeping your fans engaged, the city excited and all of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. He- that brings me back to last season, right? We talked about how they were so competitive in losing efforts for, you know, the vast majority of the season and how good that was from a development perspective. Um, Returning to that, I think is, is definitely sorely needed. Um, You, you weren't seeing, you weren't seeing that earlier this year. You weren't seeing that with, you know, the losses like Sacramento or uh, what the, the second Chicago game, right? Uh, you you already were seeing a lot more uh, uncompetitiveness coming out of the team uh, than you saw last season, and it's good to see that slide be reversed. Uh, it's good to see the team compete, uh, even if they're not winning games, absolutely. All right, Ben, uh, the Pistons this week play the Lakers. They play the Lakers in like 20 minutes, so we got to get off this pod quick. Uh, they have a game Tuesday against the Heat, and then Wednesday, they start a five-game Milwaukee plus road uh, West Coast road trip. Um, they play the Bucks on Wednesday, uh, the Clippers on Friday, and then the Lakers on Sunday. Uh, ben, uh, do they win a game on that Milwaukee plus West Coast road trip?
0: Man, that is not a pretty sight if you look at yeah. the schedule that's coming up I mean look the Lakers and Bucks have struggled out of the gate Lakers still have LeBron James and Anthony Davis right so any of those games they play them twice in the next week uh, those are gonna be tough Milwaukee's obviously tough we've already seen that um I'm gonna say they're probably gonna win one of those games because this team has enough talent to beat any of those teams but I don't know which one. So I don't think they're going to be winless. I think they're going to find a way to, to win one of those games. I, I just don't know which yet.
1: Yeah, I, I remember we, we talked about this a little bit last week, right, where we looked at the schedules like, ooh, if they don't win that Sacramento game, like it, it looks it's getting pretty dicey. And then they lose that Sacramento game by 20. And you're like, oh, that's pretty dicey. And then they come out with a win against Indiana. So I, I think you're right. I do think they find a way to uh, avoid the, uh, the eight-game losing streak that it looks like when you look at the schedule. Um, but I don't know exactly like when or how that happens. perhaps it could happen tonight against the Lakers you know any anything is possible all right ben uh it's been a good week. It's good talking to you. I let the people know where they can find you and they can where they can find uh what you've been working on this season
0: <laughs> at b r Golker on twitter hey also uh my little two year old son is Developing the three-foot jump shot on his little basketball hoop in the backyard. You can find me on Instagram at br golker as well. If you want to see the next, the next Steph Curry who's looking at my window right now, saying hi to everybody.
1: <laughs> I, I saw those jumpers. Uh, you already got the two-handed push shot down. Uh, <laughs> He's next up, it. next up is working on the range. Absolutely, right, yeah. we're going to put a little He's gonna...
0: It's the two and a half foot, right? Like it's the it's the restricted area. That's the <laughs> right. extent of the range at this point.
1: He's a paint scorer. Absolutely. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. My son is not a paint scorer right now. He's too little (laughs) to hold the basketball, but uh, I'll throw up some, I throw up occasional pictures of him as well. uh, And you guys can enjoy and admire those. Uh, This has been the Detroit bad boys, bad boys podcast. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. See you.